Well, welcome to Global Development Conversations. I'm Professor Jeremy Novak from the Global Development College. And each week we are going to be talking about issues around global development, the UN Sustainability Goals, okay, World Health Organization, some other issues in business and how they relate and interrelate with each other. Smart cities, business improvement ideas, leadership and management, disaster management and risk reduction, education and human development, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, United Nations Disaster Risk Reduction Efforts, World Health Organization Issues, Poverty Reduction Efforts. Welcome to Global Development Conversation with your host, Professor Jeremy Novak. And each week I'm joined by my colleague, uh, Mr. Calvin Bell, who is a very experienced leader and operations manager who's been worked in the uh, military as well as civilian streets for many years and helped large and small organisations. So welcome, Kevin, and good to see you. Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, Glad to be here. Okay. So, well, what we're going to do first off is to start the conversation around leadership, and that's what today's topic is about, leadership from small organisations to large organisations. So, Kevin, um, you know, what what are some of the major points that you think that you, you would like to cover today? I think we need to look at the fundamentals of how we communicate in any sort of business, whether it's a large business or a small business. We're all familiar with the international successes of large companies and the leadership of people like Richard Branson and so on. But Hmm. uh, I want to actually take a look at what we can learn from leadership and what we can actually use in our own workplace, whether we're a small business, a a growing medium-sized business, or even a little bit larger. If you're an up-and-coming young leader in a company, what are some of the things that you need to know that can actually help you work with your colleagues in a much better and much more effective way? So what what do you think are probably about the most four in like four essential things that a leader needs to to look at straight off the bat? What what's what's common amongst regardless amongst leaders regardless at what level? I think each leader and we'll see a lot of statements about a vision mm. and yes every leader needs to have a vision. That's that's uh a reality. Mm. It applies to large businesses, and we've seen the vision that, as I said before, like Richard Branson. Mm. But small companies too have a vision. They wish to succeed. They have goals just like everybody else in their business. And one of the things that we find that are really, really important at, at the ground level are simple things something we all know something about, honesty, things like integrity and trust. Now, I spent 20 years in the military, and to be quite honest, if you don't trust your colleagues, the whole thing isn't going to work. So trust is a fundamental element of building the relationship in a business where you as a leader can make a difference. You can make your place, you work, place where trust is an important issue. You have to have trust in people to do their job. 
And I'll give you an example. Do we hire people who are better than us to help us make our business greater? Some people, and it's a natural instinct, the business they own is theirs, and they're a little bit yep. nervous about bringing in somebody that's smarter than them. So the simple thing is we all need great help. Great businesses have great and well-qualified people at all different levels of their company. And it's those sorts of people that we sometimes overlook, the small company owner, and they can learn skills about leadership. Now, we've all of our academics that look at the various, various theories of leadership will talk about whether it's an innate skill, something that you are born with, or whether you can learn it. Having spent 20 years in the military and seen how leaders can get developed through proper training, proper counselling, proper advice and mentoring, you can find that a good leader can be developed. They might not be a Richard Branson, but that's not the point. They're going to provide effective leadership in their particular business. So, Trust and honesty is a, a two fundamental things. And they both lead to us having the ability to empower our people. If we give people responsibility, we show confidence in them, we demonstrate our trust, and we can empower those people to do the best they can for our corporation or our business. So yeah. when we look at trust, it's a fundamental issue. And with that comes hand in hand your honesty, integrity, and the ability to empower people to make your business much, much better. Yeah. So from a trust perspective, um, when we're being looking looking at organisations, and especially in crisis and disaster events, the the one of the big things that we've found in organisations, the common thing that breaks down is the trust and the reciprocity and the strength of ties with inside members with inside organisations. So a, a leader can really build up higher levels of trust, which in turn result in better reciprocal actions under a duress situation. Is that what you've found in the military and also in in civilian street with other organisations? Yes, it is, Jeremy, and particularly in private enterprise. Uh, I was a state manager of a small RTO and hmm. we had a small number of office staff. Each one of those people has a job. You trust them to hmm. do it. You give them the responsibility and most of them will shine. So having that trust, having a little bit of empowerment for those people helps you, it helps them, and it makes the business function in a much more positive way. So, so with as far as um, the social exchange that li lives in with inside the organisation, do you believe that this um, 
the perception of the employees that the organisation is supporting them through appropriate leadership, does that does that play a major role as well in building that trust and reciprocity? Yes, Jerry, I think it does because we can support our staff and we can demonstrate our support. Mm. For example, we can send them on a promotion course, we could send them to do a new course that's related to their their particular work area. We can send a mm. reception person off to do a advanced Excel course if you need spreadsheeting. And by sending those people on those types of training courses, we're building their confidence, their ability up, and we're also giving them the tools to be able to be empowered. Hmm. Okay, so so with as far as empathy is concerned, and that, that probably would relate to um, the building of the trust, what, what's your viewpoints on the empathy side of things? Um, how, how can leaders of organisations, no matter what size, be empathetic or show they can, empathy? They can, look at, they can look at their staff. They can see in different situations how those staff react. Now, it's been my experience that in private enterprise, most people respond as opposed to reacting. And I'll clearly make a difference there because responding is when somebody presses your buttons and makes you do something they want. Or you get your buttons pressed by government who want to put a COVID lockdown on people. So it stops everybody going about what their business is. It has its public health thing, issues, yes, that's fine. But we need to look at everything in it as an entirety. Now, for empathy, if our employer shows that they have an interest in our performance, then part of that performance is our feelings, what we think. Mm. In simple terms, if we, as to give an example, we've all seen this one, somebody doesn't like what's happened. They shoot off a sarcastic email and the next day everybody's upset because of John or Mary's email. Now, how can we stop that happening? We talk to our staff about thinking about what they write. Would you write it to your grandmother? No. So let's think about how we interact both verbally and in written format. Life's becoming or starting to live our lives online, which, as everybody I'm sure is aware, has its personal issues and there are some very unpleasant people on the various mediums of social media and so on. So... A boss has to have a degree of empathy. He has to have some understanding and he has to give give people their time when they need it. So somebody might, you've experienced this yourself, uh, they might have a sick parent, they might have a sick relative, somebody they've got to spend a few days looking after. Mm. Let them go. Because when they come back and you ask them to do something, you'll get a much more positive response. It's it's being empathetic, it's understanding, 
and you'll generally find that the vast majority of people respond in a very positive way. Mm -hmm. And their actions then will speak volumes. Actions speak louder than words, and we need to remember that. And when we give empathy or give the opportunity for people to do something that they need to do for their family, they're much more disposed to being part of your business family. Hmm. So if we think about it in the context of just simple human interaction, this person needs something, yes, I'll give you four days off. I know it's going to cause us problems, but we can plan for that. We've got, we've talked about it first, we've given the time and we can adjust a little bit. So when they come back, their attitude is going to be a whole lot different. Now, we can't teach people or we can teach people attitude, but it takes a long time. But we can encourage positive attitude through showing empathy and empowering people to have control of what they do. Look, uh, from my perspective of companies that I've run, and that's a really good point that you bring up about the empathy of if someone's got someone off sick. Now, most countries um, have labour laws and they they require sick days to be uh, applied um, to full-time employees. They're entitled to so many a year. However, it, in cases where sick days are not, um, available because I've run out, that allowing them that time off is a really good um, leverage tool to say, well, look, I've done this for you, that reciprocal arrangement, and it comes back in twofold because it, when time is really time pressures are on and production pressures on, you can then get your employees to put in the bigger hours and to pay that back. Um, I find that a, that a really good uh, good tool as far as a management leadership tool as well. I think um, I think one thing that we should also do, and because we're looking at um, global development and how that uh, how that links to UN sustainability, you know that that is all about you know ensuring um, that your your employees are mentally healthy as well, um, and you're promoting that well being, and that's a real good thing on for the UN S- S- Sustainable Development Goals number three. And, and I think in my opinion that it also hits goal number nine on building resilience with inside your organisation and the infrastructure and communities as well. And, and, and even touching on level, 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 goal number 11, when you talk about sustainable cities and communities, well, if you've got a happy and worker, you're going to be more viable as, as a, um, organisation, which contributes to a city or a community. As such, yeah. Have you sort of have you got any thoughts on that sort of side of it, Kevin? Yes, Jeremy. Uh, when we look at the type of employee you were just talking about, there's a lot of examples. Some years ago, when I was the academic manager of a a training company, we. Uh, randomly or occasionally gave a employee a couple of tickets for dinner or a tea or a, or a concert or something like that when they'd done a 
an enormous activity in the business and when they've done a great amount of good. And just that random gesture of giving something to somebody, even as simple as giving them a bottle of wine or a ticket to go and have lunch or dinner with your with your partner. Those small gestures that cost maybe under a hundred dollars give people renewed enthusiasm. They're not something you use all the time. You leave them as a random tool, but they're something you can use to promote the idea of how you think about your staff. Mm. And really, when we think about it, we want them to follow us, so we've got to create an environment that will support them and they'll follow. Mm. If we... Yeah. Yep. No, go on. Sorry. Yep. So, so with as far as those things are concerned that we've talked about, um, you know, honesty, empathy, trust, and being an advocate for your people. Um, another key area of leadership is around your vision and being an inspiring leader because. You know, leaders are sort of the definition of a leader in general, and there's many definitions out there, is you're you're there to try and inspire people to do things that they would not normally do. So do you want to talk about how you would inspire people? You've touched on some of it, but also developing the vision and and the role in that, that plays in those two areas. Certainly. When we look at vision and inspiration, which are several of the many qualities that leaders can have, mm. we're really talking about how we communicate. Now, as an example, somebody like Richard Branson has a great vision to build Virgin Blue and to build a whole range of airlines and now uh, trips into uh, outer space or the upper atmosphere, those things take vision and that's very true. We need that vision. But that also inspires people that work with him or for him and we have to have, for that to happen, great channels of communication. People have to be able to understand exactly what the leader wants. Now, we can talk about business leaders, and they generally reflect what their companies are about, their their culture. And if you look at something like um, Fortescue Metals, Twiggy Forest, you can see Forest's leadership through his drive to get new ideas, his hydrogen plant in Queensland. That's a lot of money spent up front for something that might be fully developed in five to ten years. That's a vision. Mm. And to do that, he has to be able to communicate that not just to his people but to governments. He had to be able to communicate mm. that successfully to the Queensland government to help get that off the ground, to get it started. Again, we see... The need for, or we see the vision and we see the need for good communication in 
order to achieve what he as the leader wants and his team, his employees, Mm. need to do to help them achieve the overall goal. So when we think about vision, we hopefully see leaders that have an inspiration. Mm. They have some sort of character that helps inspire the people around them. Mm. Now, it may be simple. They have what we normally would call, I suppose, charisma. They have something that appeals to people. Now, Mm. some people have that as an innate talent. Some people have to work on it really, really hard to make it work. But if Mm. we put, if we use strong communication, positively angled, we'll be able to get those people that we need on board to be able to achieve our vision and we'll be able to give them the right sort of inspiration so that they can look to the future just like we can. Global Development Conversation with your host, Professor Jeremy Novak. Tell me something, in your opinion, do you, do you think there is a, there's a difference in the vision of a small micro business that might only have two or three people working for them or compared to a large organisation of 50 or 100 people or a medium-sized organisation, as the definition would be? Yeah, I, I think the situations are different. Therefore, we, we're going mm. to need a much different approach. Small mm. or micro businesses, as you mentioned, with two or three or even four or five people, it really has to be about how those people communicate, how those people interact. And in a lot of cases, those people are drawn together by common interest. Uh, We see a lot of, uh, in the IT areas, uh, particularly gaming, we see a lot of Mm. young Australians in particular creating games and it attracts other people of like mind to their industry Mm. and between them in amongst the whole lot in their communication process, they come up with some really, really innovative ideas that weren't possible a decade ago. So Mm. it's important even at that small level, for whoever the owner of that business is, to show leadership. And as I said before, if he empowers his staff, because you've got a small team, somebody has to do the job, whatever it might be. And if the staff are in a positive frame of mind, they're going to contribute everything and the best ideas they have. So... Leadership is every bit as important at that level as it is for the leaders that we would probably consider to be well-known or famous. Yeah. Like one, perhaps one of the most interesting uh, and well-known in the general public of leadership is Peter Drucker. Now, uh, he, he talks about a number of things, you know, vision and inspiration is one of two major points that he, he made. But you, you touched on 
um, leaders, you know, been inspiring, having the vision for innovation. And that, like, innovative behaviour innovation with inside their organisations. And I'm thinking about, um, you know, Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and the, the, the like. I, I think it was... Um, uh, Steve Jobs had actually said in one of the presentations to Mike, uh, to his organisation, if we don't be innovative for one day, we will be taken over by our competitors. So he he was very much on about innovation and inspiring his people to act, act, think, and do innovation. It's it's really important in terms of organisations particularly what you see now in the media. And we're learning that some of these organisations have considerably more power than what we ever believed. Uh, Twitter, for mm. example. Um, mm. And we can argue all day whether about whether that's too much, but uh, we'll leave that for another session. Uh, I think mm. that Jobs is right. We have to keep innovating and we have to keep being creative. Now, when you employ... Mm a number of creative people together, hmm. you have quite a challenge to keep all those people focused and to keep them all heading in the one direction. So, hmm. and I think your comment about what Jobs does reflects that. We, we need good, strong inspiration, but we need innovation to keep up. We have to have something new. If we think about the Apple iPhone, Hmm. Why is it so popular? Well, they bring out a better, newer version, hopefully, every time. So hmm. they've got some new technological advancement in it. Now, if we look back, we all bought telephones. We all hmm. bought our first mobile and we could talk to people, then we could text people. Now we can take photos, we can text and send and share and do all sorts of things with it. So those companies have used innovation to progress their product and make it more saleable. Mm. And within the organisations, the creative people who come up with those ideas, mm. rather than just creating a phone, they're creating a entire communication device that somebody can use for a range of different purposes. So mm. innovation is a, a necessary advancement. We need to have new ideas to drive our industry, mm. new technology. Mm. And I think, uh, so, so in your opinion, do you see like uh, innovation can occur um, in the medical field, like high-end innovation, especially with the COVID-19, we've seen the leaders of our uh, of governments, also medical sectors, being very innovative on getting um, vaccines that normally would take seven, ten, or even longer years out for the COVID-19 vaccines, getting them delivered within months of, of when they've when they've done the testing. Um, we've seen leaders, uh, like political leaders um, throughout the world, stepping up and saying, look, making hard decisions. Whether those decisions were right or not at the time, that, that's another debate, but they have been seen to be um, acting 
in a in a positive manner and getting these things on. Have you had any sort of thoughts how leadership has acted in the pandemic as well? Jeremy, I think that we've done a brilliant job in Australia during the course of the, the COVID pandemic. And around the world, scientists, to their credit, have come up with a variety of different uh, vaccines. Yes. And as you said, quite rightly, that normally takes 10 to 12, maybe even more years of testing. Um, because of the urgency, governments and uh, the various agencies of government uh, have allowed the new vaccines through very, very quickly, and the whole exercise has proven to be very successful uh, for those governments and for the people, particularly here in Australia. We saw a range of vaccines come here. Uh, Queensland Uni was working very, very hard on a vaccine. Mm. Uh, it didn't turn out to be exactly what they want, but they were joined around the world by other institutions, other companies. Our large uh, mm. pharmaceutical companies have uh, done a very good job to collect all the technology, all the interest, all the mm. information to get it together to produce a great outcome that's undoubtedly saved millions of lives. Mm. Um, in terms of how leaders have managed that, we can see around the world that there's been a, a wide variety of uh, approaches. We can look at mm. China today, which is still grappling with the zero tolerance level. Mm. We can look at states in the US like Florida, where Ron DeSantos as the governor has taken a completely different view. In mm. fact, diametrically opposed. You can look at what we did here in Australia, and despite all the criticisms that we have internally, the simple fact of the matter is that the government of the day did an absolutely sterling job, first in shutting the borders and then trying to get as much of the best vaccine as they could into the country. Now, there were some wrong decisions. That's perfectly obvious. Yes. Yep. We probably shouldn't let cruise ships into Sydney Harbour, but we managed, by and large, and we probably in the long run had the best result compared to all of our OECD partners. Mm. And when we look at that sort of thing, we need to measure, we need to look outside of just Australia and we need to look externally to get the idea that our leaders of the day did actually mm. do a, a pretty good job. In fact, mm. better than the rest of the world, I'd say. So mm. it is important. And on that one issue, our leaders did really well. Some of the mm. world leaders are still battling the problem and we don't envy the problem that China has at the moment, zero yeah. lockdown of 14, 15 or 20 million people in Shanghai. Uh, those mm. sorts of things are enormously challenging. We've mm. been lucky. Mm. 
We've been yeah, it's well managed in general, and the overall mm. thing, yes, we took some time to get it, but logistics is a difficult business. Logistics is yeah. always going to take longer than you want. Mm-hmm. Look, we've, we've as far as uh, uh, and, and perhaps what we can do is that um, we'll we'll be doing other videos and and uh, video casts on leadership uh, because it is a huge area. But what we could probably look at is, and we've talked about leaders um, within small business, governments, that sort of thing, and we'll look from the pandemic point of view at this this stage. Do you think a sign of a really informed, appropriate leadership and leader is that their their ability to identify where they've got wrong, their weaknesses, and compare themselves to other countries, other other states, other organisations. And and if you had some advice for them, what what would that look like? It's incredibly important that we learn from our mistakes. There are, I'm sure, dozens of quotes from various uh, academic authors around leadership of uh, what we can, how we can learn, how we can use the information from our mistakes mm. and build a better future for our organisation, our business, our, our government, our country, whatever it might be. Mm. So... If we don't do that sort of research, if we don't use the experience to our advantage, Hmm. when we talk about resilience, Hmm. be it at the UN level or at a national level, state level, we're not going to have it. We need to isolate all the problems, learn our lessons, find a better solution and implement it in the quickest space of time that we can. Mm. And we see that most evident in situations like the floods, our most recent event here in Australia, devastating Mm. for many. Uh, But what do we learn from it? How do we go about improving it? There There are dozens of things that went wrong and they're going to continue to go wrong if somebody doesn't show the leadership to get things done that need to be done. Now, what needs to be done may not be popular with everybody. Uh, But when we talk about floods and the taking account of what needed to be done, responding to the event, we can look at the little town of Grantham in the the Lockyer Valley, which in 2011 all but washed away, devastating. People lost lives and so on, well documented in the media. But the mayor of that local area decided, right, this is devastating, let's do something about it. Within 12 months, he had land available on a hill ready for a house exchange. Move up here we'll buy back your house down there. He did that in around 12 months. He actually sat in the government, various government offices in Brisbane until somebody talked to him. And he showed real inspiration in leading his people 
and creating something that would prevent that happening again. And we need to see that now because more than ever, our areas that have been devastated need that sort of vision. We don't need people to sit and think about it. We've seen what's wrong. There are plenty of experts there that can write a paper by next week and tell you what's wrong. So people need to do something about it. Now, I know local government look at it, and just like the uh, gentleman who's the mayor of uh, Lismore, you can see the frustration every time he appears on TV. Hmm. It's beyond his scope to fix. They know what the problem is. They are living it, and they need alternatives. And so far, Hmm. there's a lot of talk, and it's six months down the track, and no action. If we go back to the Grantham example, there's action. That makes a difference. Hmm. It inspires people when mayors and those sorts of people have that drive and that inspiration. And I I think that's um, one of the things that we will be doing is that, and and that may be something that we'll cover in another podcast and a video cast is actually the issue around leadership within disaster situations. Okay, Kevin, well, look, I'd really like to thank you for coming today and I look forward to talking to you next week on the uh, next podcast on leadership and from the Global Development Conversations. Thanks, Jeremy. Glad to be here. Okay, everybody, and it's been a pleasure having you and I look forward to seeing you again. I'm Professor Jeremy Novak from the Global Development College and I cannot wait to see you next time. Thank you. This is Global Development Conversation with your host, Professor Jeremy Novak.